Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Teen Titans. Today we will be discussing Teen Titans Trouble in Tokyo, finishing off with the epic TV film, uh, the last word in the grand pantheon of Teen Titans lore, and this is a solid movie. I really enjoy it. It's a fun time. Is it perfect? No. It has problems, and we'll get into those in a minute, but as a whole, like, this really is just a fun, well-crafted, entertaining-as-hell film that brilliantly translates all the stuff that was great about the show to a more cinematic landscape. All that technical stuff that the series nailed, the animation, the voice acting, uh, the humor, the character dynamics, uh, the brilliance in narrative, like everything that made the show fun, everything that made the show good, it is all translated perfectly. In fact, an argument could be made that this very easily could have been like a three or four part arc of the show if they really wanted to. That's how closely related it is to the series. And it's wonderful. Why does Siri think I'm talking to her? Shut up. (laughs) I said series. Shut up. I don't need you here. Anyway. But yeah, good movie. Uh, You know what? Let's just talk about the flaws, like, right up front. So I can just spend the rest of this episode praising the film. Because I do, again, really enjoy it overall. The, The first thing, and I know this is arbitrary... And this is totally out of my annoyance for how the series ended. But I would have liked to see this film actually answer the questions left by the series. I would have liked to see this film tackle those hanging threads with Terra, with Robo Slade, with that weird creature thing. I would have liked that. And the fact that they elected instead to just do a solo adventure, do a standalone thing. Even though this premiered months after the series ended. I think I think the finale aired in January of 2006. And this movie came out in September. So they had enough time production-wise to know, okay, we're not getting another season. We should wrap this up in the film. 
Why they elected to just do a solo thing, I will never understand. Maybe they thought people would respond to a solo adventure and then uh, they'd magically get a sixth season out of it. I don't know, but eh, whatever. Like I said, very, very arbitrary. It's not even this movie's fault. Because this tells a great story. I love the story this movie tells, but like... I don't know, like, given that this is very, like, this is meant to be the last word on Teen Titans, it's meant to be, like, the swan song in lieu of a sixth season, I kind of would have liked to see them answer some of those questions, but whatever, that's just me. Again, totally arbitrary. Uh, My biggest issue with this movie is its dependence on what I call the foreign awe cliché. This is a very phoned-in gimmick that way too many movies, especially sequels, rely upon way too much. Where they just set their thing in another country and devote way too much screen time to, Whoa, look how different everything is. What? Like, this movie definitely relies upon that a little bit too much, and it does get kind of old very, very quickly. Although I will say this, two things in favor of them using this trope here. First off, how poetic is it that this series, which is heavily, heavily inspired by Japanese anime, spawned a film that takes place in Japan? How, how beautiful, how much of, like, a circular arc is that? I have to imagine that was, like, very, very gratifying for the entire team behind this film and the entire team behind the series. Like, I have to imagine it was so wonderful to just be like, oh, we took the ideas of Japanese animation, infused them into American superhero ideals, And now we get to make a movie off of that series set in Japan. Like, that had to be, like, such a huge cultural, like, amazing moment for this team. It almost makes me forgive the use of that cliche, but, you know, almost. It's still a trope that very much annoys me and feels very lazy. Also, they do use it well in one scene with that giant monster attack, which, by the way, is a great sequence. I really, really enjoy that sequence. They do... Use it cleverly in this sequence where the Titans are just kind of stumbling around because they don't know the lay of the land. And they don't even say anything about this. It's just all visual storytelling to convey this fact. And it's very cleverly done. Uh, The animators did a phenomenal, phenomenal job showing that off visually. But again, like, far more often than not, This trope, like, shows all the classic hallmarks, uh, shows all the classic things that annoy me about it. There are entire montages purely devoted to just, look how different this is from America! And it's the stuff that, like, annoys me. and stuff like, uh, most recently I saw this in The Wolverine, which... Coincidentally enough, was also set in Japan. The Wolverine had this in spades, and they just got very, very lazy with it. 
But I don't know. I've always been annoyed by this trope and how much certain films rely on it way too hard. Like, it's just... We get it. It's a different country. You don't have to spend so much time conveying that. Also, I will never forgive this movie for the bastardization of the theme song. Oh my god. What the hell? Like, that karaoke machine... Whenever that comes up and Greg Kipes starts singing those awful lyrics, my ears bleed. And before anyone says anything, yes, I know it's a translated version of the Japanese theme song. Hey, guess what? There's a reason those lyrics are in Japanese. And that's because they sound way better in Japanese. There's a reason we don't translate songs like that into English and we just hear them as is because if you translate them to any other language they sound like garbage and this is very much the case here whoever thought it was a good idea to translate the Japanese song the Japanese theme song into English and have Beast Boy sing it on stage fire that dude that dude's an idiot whoever made that decision is a moron god I hate that I will never forgive that movie for bastardizing the greatest theme song ever. Like, just, ugh. But that's pretty much all my issues with this film. And in all the ways this it, it really counts, narratively and character-wise and in entertainment value and in action sequences, like, literally in all the ways it really matters, this movie just excels. Uh, I love the various journeys the characters go on in this film, uh, particularly... So, this is very much the Robin and Starfire movie, first and foremost. I think everyone can agree on that. Like, at a certain point, this becomes about their will-they-won't-they relationship. The payoff to that constant thread of, are they a thing or aren't they? That the show teased a lot. That, That the show kept going back to over and over and over again, and kept giving a giant question mark. This film finally pays that off, and it's done so well. Uh, All the constant fumbling around of if this will go anywhere. Uh, Robin's horror over the idea of Starfire just randomly kissing some other boy on the street to learn Japanese. (laughs) Uh, The awkwardness between them. Uh, Robin's insistence that, no, I'm a hero, I can't take vacations, I can't afford these luxuries, I can't, uh, I can't be off my guard, I can't have, like, personal enjoyment, I'm only a hero, I have to be on all the time, blah, 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 blah. I especially love, by the way, that sequence where Robin and Starfire are on the roof, and they fully understand, okay, this is happening. And they just turn away from each other for a minute. Uh, Robin's... <laughs> uh, Robin is... Uh, spraying breath spray in his mouth. Snarf... Uh, Snarfire? What? Starfire's sniffing herself to make sure she doesn't have bad B.O. Robin's checking his teeth. Starfire is... Eating an absurd amount of breath mints. And then they turn back to each other and like, hi. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so dumb. I love it so much. It's the greatest thing. 
And then eventually Robin realizes, oh, wait, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. Uh, I don't have to just be a hero all the time. I can afford myself these luxuries. And eventually Robin and Starfire get past the awkwardness of the will they won't they and they have that kiss like right at the ending and it's a really sweet moment cyborg is just looking on like it's about time <laughs> like being the voice of the fans in that moment uh but that is really sweet and very well done and all the like alternative adventures that uh raven cyborg and beast boy go on raven's like on a desperate quest for something to read that's in english because he doesn't understand japanese (laughs) the only thing she can read is gum (laughs) beast boy like just going full tourist walking around and then getting mobbed by girls (laughs) who are just inexplicably obsessed with him because he Sang a bastardized version of the Teen Titans theme song. Uh, I hate that version. That the, the Teen Titans theme deserves better. The Teen Titans theme deserves way, way better. But whatever. These girls really like it, apparently. So, there's that. Uh, Cyborg's <laughs> Adventures at the All-You-Can-Eat Buffet. <laughs> Oh my god, that's my favorite of these subplots. Like, it's just so funny. Cyborg goes in, he's like, all you can eat. And of course, Cyborg's a bottomless pit, so he's eating everything. The chef is like, just, hey, leave. You're putting me out of business here. You're eating too much. And Cyborg's like, it's all I can eat. I'm staying. And then in order to get him to leave, the chef just keeps feeding him insane items. Live octopus. (laughs) Cow eyes. An old shoe full of wasabi. (laughs) And then the chef just gives up and then just literally chases him out. And it's just, along with the girls chasing the Titans throughout the entire rest of the movie... (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love it. I love it so much. It's the best thing. And then there's Brushogun. And I I love what they do with Brushogun. What they do with Brushogun is maybe the best cinematic magic trick I have seen in any superhero movie ever. It is so well done. Like, they create this larger-than-life legend around Brushogan as this stone-cold criminal, uh, this titan of madness, Japan's first supervillain. They create this very compelling legend around him. Uh, The story... Of his origins, where he wanted to bring his creations to life, and he used the spell, and it made him get these dark powers. He got cursed, his skin became paper, ink flowed through his veins, and like he could just make anything he want and have it come to life. And the mystique around him is he who is he? Is he even real? Why is he attacking? The tower, they create this very compelling mystery around him. So Psychotech attacked Titan's tower and just mysteriously vanished. By the way, 
Beast Boy nailed the entire secret of Psychotech right on the head immediately, and everyone just looked at him like he was stupid. He said, hey, maybe he escaped because he wasn't waterproof, and he absolutely wasn't waterproof because he's made of ink. Beast Boy got it right. Beast Boy confirmed smartest Titan. But anyway, like, so why did Psychotech attack the tower? Uh, like, if Brushogun isn't real, then who is Psychotech working for? Uh, what's the deal with this legend? What's the deal with the Tokyo Troopers? Uh, why do the Troopers not want, uh, the criminals of the underworld to talk about Brushogun? Also, Psychotech shows up in order to frame Robin for murder, but then why would Brushogun frame Robin for murder and then send him a note that blew up and allowed him to escape? Like, it's this very compelling mystery of just like, okay, who is Brushogun and what exactly is his plan? And everything clicks into place when they go to the comic book factory and we get this brilliant, brilliant twist where it is revealed that Brushogun is in fact not the villain of this story, but the MacGuffin. He is not the bad guy. He is the thing the real bad guy is using. He is a slave. He has been captured. He has been forced to use his creations for someone else's gain. And that person is Daizo, the commander of the Tokyo Troopers. This dude captured Brushogun, stuck him in a magic printing press... And then used him to create criminals, which his troopers would then apprehend in order to make himself look like a hero. It's so good. And you look back on certain things in the film, so much more makes sense. Uh, you find out that the original Psychotech was there as a call for help and not actually to attack the Titans. Uh, the note was Brushogun saying, hey, seriously though, please help me. He basically just pushed the Titans to search for him so they would find him and free him from Daizo. And I also have to praise their use of color on Daizo's, or not Daizo's, uh, Brushogun's creations. Because they use color the way these creations are colored to convey so much without anyone even noticing. First off, did anyone notice that the first Psychotech, the one that attacked the tower and was sent by Brushogun himself, was half pink, half blue? But every other Psychotech created by Daizo was fully pink. Literally, it was them telegraphing without anyone knowing to look for it. Hey, this psychotech is different. This psychotech has another agenda. This psychotech is working for someone entirely different. And then the second thing I love in their use of color, uh, the other thing they really brilliantly com convey in that phenomenal third act, which, by the way, I adore more than anything. That phenomenal 
third act where Daizo becomes this giant ink monster using Brushogun's powers. Uh, he just waves his hand and suddenly, like, ink falls from the sky uh, from his dripping hands and creates an army of Brushogun creations. Uh, a bunch of psychotechs, a bunch of cat girls, a bunch of uh, carnivorous robots, a bunch of <laughs> uh, annoying little boys, a bunch of ghost beasts, a bunch of uh, Tokyo Troopers and all that. Up until that point, they were fairly consistently colored. They were flat. They were meticulously crafted. They were just fully, like, solid. But then once that giant blob monster is created and he just creates these creatures with his hand, it's like a freaking rainbow. They're all multicolored. The colors are mixed and matched. Uh, and, like, you can just tell in that moment, oh, so this is now officially out of control. Like, this is chaos. Like, he's no longer trying to craft like he's no longer trying to meticulously craft bad guys he's just going nuts he's just trying to throw as much as possible at the titans it's great it's so so cool they use color very very well in this film uh, I kind of alluded to the opening sequence earlier, but I'll mention it again. That opening sequence is phenomenal. That first fight with Psychotech, so well done. Such a brilliant introduction. I love everything about it. It's such a great beginning of the film. Also, Beast Boy got it right. Beast Boy, smartest titan. That travel montage is so hilarious. The packing and the... <laughs> Getting lost somehow, and Beast Boy needing to use the bathroom, going on a tree on this island somewhere. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a great credit sequence. And then, I have to pay specific attention to the moment where Psychotech frames Robin for murder. Psychotech attacks, we get on this epic chase, uh, eventually they fall from the sky after... Running on rooftops for a while. And then Robin just beats Psychotech mercilessly. Presumably to death. Although we find out later that Psychotech isn't real. And the way this sequence is animated. It's so great. It's another great use of color. Uh, the flashing red lights. The shadowed Robin. The neon pink ink stains that look... A hell of a lot like blood. The torn costume. Uh, Robin's heavy breathing. Like, the they use all of this to convey something brutal has just happened while not actually going beyond the PG rating. While not actually going all that brutal. It's a really effective, really heartbreaking, really amazing sequence. Uh, that's even more, that's brought even closer to home when Robin's in the cell, getting interrogated by Daizo, eventually when Robin's like, okay, I'm gonna ditch the costume and put on a disguise to hide my Robin-ness from everybody, 
which is how you know shit's serious. While all this is happening, all the various Titans are getting attacked by various Brusho gun creations, Starfire by this annoying little boy, Raven by this ghost monster, uh, Cyborg by this carnivorous robot, Beast Boy by the cat girl, like, and it's all, like, just these little, tiny, contained action sequences intercut to perfection. That chase montage also is perfect. (laughs) I love the chase montage! We're literally, like, they're running from everybody. They're running from Tokyo Troopers. They're running from Brusho Guns Creations. They're running from chefs. They're running from girls. Everyone is out to get them. <laughs> and it's so great. It's so good. In fact, it's almost as if... See, this film, to a certain extent, almost feels proof of concepty for the show. Which further lends credence to my theory that they were just continuing to beg for a sixth season by getting new viewers in. Uh, Obviously, that did not work. Uh, (laughs) But it basically... It combines the English language theme song episodes with the Japanese theme song level... With the Japanese theme song episodes. It combines the self-serious with the absolute bonkers the absolute bonkers being this freaking chase sequence (laughs) oh it's so good it's so so phenomenal and then it all builds to that third act in the comic book factory which i've already praised it's so good every little facet of it is amazing it's a brilliant brilliant finale and then we get our wonderful ending uh, where everything's just worked out, Daizo's exposed as a fraud, the Titans are heroes again, uh, Robin and Starfire are officially a thing, Beast Boy is enjoying the in- attention of this army of girls, Cyborg is finally given his wish of all you can eat, Raven somehow became a mascot for gum? Weird. <laughs> And the Titans decide, you know what, we're going to stay here a while. We're just going to have, we're just going to have some fun. Just going to have some fun in Tokyo, take a vacation, then go back home. But yeah, this is a good movie. Like I said, it's not perfect. It has problems. Uh, if, like, I, I don't think this is the prime example of how just, Flawless and perfection Teen Titans can be. There's a lot in there that annoys me to no end. But overall, like, it's a solid, fun time. Brilliantly crafted. uh, And all the stuff that's really important, they nailed. It's just a bunch of things that just annoy me. Like, I'm annoyed by the fact that it's not a continuation of the series and rather a self-contained adventure. I'm annoyed by the fact that they relied so much on the foreign awe cliche. I'm annoyed at the bastardization of the theme. But for the most part, none of this detracts from the story they're trying to tell that is very, very, very good. Uh, But yeah, good time going back to Trouble in Tokyo. And so ends our discussion of Teen Titans. Forever. It's over. It's done. We we will never talk about Teen Titans again. Unless they greenlight a sixth season, which granted, uh, uh, which I think 
based on the events of the last year uh, around this uh, this iteration of the characters, I think is actually not entirely out of the question. We'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe not. For now, this is all the Teen Titans we have. Uh, so, yeah, we're done with that. And we'll move on to bigger and better stuff. Stay tuned to the podcast feed for more information on that. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Stay tuned to the podcast feed tomorrow for more information on the next season of the Television Archive. Talk to you then.